What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today, I've got two guests today, John and Lisa Dempster. They are permaculturists, and I am super excited to have them on the show. So without further ado, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Hey, man, real quick, um, what can you define what a permaculturist is for our listeners? Uh, so permaculturists are, you could consider us mobile earth repair technicians. Okay. We're not all mobile, but Lisa and I happen to be mobile earth repair technicians. So we use a design system called permaculture, which is restoring ecosystems to their natural state of health using different earthworks, plant selections, um, so building soil, and planting the rain, a lot of different techniques that we use all in the, in the aim of following basically three ethics, which is earth care, people care, and future care, or fair share. Or the third one people have a bunch of definitions for. Yeah, gotcha. Um, but so basically everything falls where if you're, if ethic two seems to be conflicting with ethic one, you don't do it. Um, ethic one being earth care. You reevaluate how you can fulfill ethic two while still honoring ethic one. So gotcha. it kind of builds on itself. Okay. But so like on a on a average run of the mill day, like what kind of does your job entail? Just So it depends on the kind of client. Okay. Um so either we'll be doing like regenerative landscapes for people and we have clients that'll hire us where say they've um found their healing through of like, say an autoimmune disorder. We have a client actually coming up this spring. She healed herself from three autoimmune disorders by essentially walking different ecosystems and cleaning up her diet and the grounding exposure. Yeah. Well, the grounding and also, um, your gut and yeah. the microbes in yeah. it, they start in your sinuses. And so she go and walk her dogs for two hours a day in different ecosystems, like two hours in a swamp one day, two hours in the forest, two hours in a savanna, and just spent that time to build that grounding, that healing, and really improve her health. And then she noticed that at her home, when their lawn care people would come, or their rodent people would come and spray and do their stuff, she'd get sick. Okay. And so she wanted to have their landscape not have all those chemicals and other things. And once we started talking, found out that her kids are actually super aware beings. They're young. Uh, one of them, the 10 year old, I think she saved a thousand dollars. She has an electric bike and she runs like a, an electric bike delivery service. No way. Yeah. It's so cool. That's so good. That's crazy. <laughs> and then the older one, she was like, Oh, well you have to eat all this organic food. And she started a thousand acre garden, or I'm sorry, thousand square foot garden for feeding their family. And they've totally changed their lives. And so now when we're working with them, we're kind of integrating these different things that they're passionate about and informing them of how, for instance, oh, well, it rains and you're just putting it all out to the road. And then all this pristine, clean, distilled water, better than actually rains better than distilled water is just going out to the ocean and you can't drink it anymore. Yeah. You can't use it in your garden. And so integrating cisterns and earthworks to hold 
to slow spread and sink the water into the soil. Okay. Recharging the aquifer can really help to balance that ecosystem. And so that that's what some clients look like. Sometimes it's somebody with large acreage okay. and they have a hard time having water. Water's a big part. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> water is life, right? Yeah. Um, so it's somebody with a big acreage where they want, say, a water retention landscape on a big scale to where they're able to grow crops and create an abundance. So we can develop this whole system where they can create this life that's always generating more than what they need. And they're able to reinvest that excess okay. into developing the site, doing work in other places, or what have you. And so really it's all creating a sustainable lifestyle at whatever scale somebody is living. Okay. So you're kind of, a, you're sort of tr not, not necessarily trying to perfect a closed loop system because that's one of the most interesting, interesting things I've found about soil science is it seems like it's as it's pretty close to a perfect system. It's closed loop. Every, you have things that grow out of the ground, then they die and they're recycled, and then they feed other life forms. Well, that's exactly all, what we do. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also that understanding that it's still receiving input from the sun. Yeah. And kind of that understanding of, well, it's still not quite a closed loop because we're still getting energy from somewhere else. And kind of teaching that system to live in... Um, reciprocity with the systems around it and the sun. And to be honest, a lot of what permaculturists do is we'll take what somebody considers a nuisance and turn it into an asset because one of our design concepts is the problem is the solution. Okay. What is a, what, could you think of an example where you took something that was a nuisance and kind of made it well, I'm talking a lot about water, okay. but um, <laughs> a lot of times people complain that there's all this runoff coming from the neighbor's yard okay. and it's washing out their landscape. Like, oh, that's a great gift. I'm really glad that they have all that water running from their yard. We're going to actually take it and set it into a series of swales or rain gardens or what have you. And maybe even I did design a green swimming pool. I'm not sure if they installed it. Uh, so like a natural swimming pool. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. Uh, so I did design a natural swimming pool for them and their kids. I'm not sure if they ended up installing that one. Um, but you can take all this excess runoff and actually use it in your landscape to where you're either not irrigating at all or we're pretty xeric out here, which means we have really dry, hot summers. Mm -hmm. And so there's usually some level of supplementation in the summertime just to keep things from dying. Okay. Um, but really investing more into the landscape than we take out. Okay. I well, and having that um, precautionary principle lived out in what we're doing. So that being that when you move forward and you make decisions, you're doing it with intention, that you've already thought through what the potential outcomes could be from what you're choosing to create or um, invest into a landscape. And if those risks outweigh um, the rewards, or even if there are risks that could potentially be seriously detrimental, you don't do it. Um, and this is a common, um, this is a concept that's been really explored in ecology because a lot of the choices that have been made over the last century have been done in a very short term way where 
it wasn't considered what ultimately the outcome would be. And so we have tons of pollution now from those choices. Yes, and the soil degradation is fucking abhorrent. It's terrible. I mean, we're absolutely. You guys are working to change, and this is something that I've. It's just, it's something I've been aware of, but it's something that I'm kind of getting a little bit more passionate about is uh, soil degradation mm -hmm. and the fact that we're not growing our food in a very smart way. We have thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres of soybean farms and that's, that's never rotated at all and it's fucking the soil. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that there are human beings out there like you that are trying to fix this. How screwed are we? <laughs> well, it depends so on how educated we're willing to become. Okay. And I would say that so many of us live in this artificial world that's run on a grid where everything's provided for us. And then when something disrupts that system, we're in such shock that, you know, there are limits to these resources. And so helping to offer people an education as to what um, ultimately will be the result of these choices to continue to participate in this type of system is it's definitely a calling of ours but i also do not expect that the majority of people are going to care or change because that tends to be um, the outcome of a lot of conversations we have with people. They're so scared of what's out there, of what is coming or what could be, that they'd rather live in ignorance than make a change that could save their lives or many generations from now, you know, their children's lives or grandchildren's lives. That's kind of deep. I never, <laughs> I mean, like, well. I mean, sorry I, to laugh about it, no, but no, yeah, no, no, it I kind of you. is. Because um, you're not wrong. I do. Is it Joe Salatin? Mm -hmm. I Joel. read his Joel. What? Joel. Joel. Yeah. Joel. Okay. I think. Anyways, Joe. <laughs> no, Joel. <laughs> with an kidding, L. Man. <laughs> Joel. Uh, so Joel, he. Uh, I th I read his book. Gosh. He's got a couple. I, th I have one of them. When I was in like the eighth grade, I don't know how I stumbled upon this, but it blew my mind. Like that kind of opened my mind to. Uh, crop rotations and like sustainable farming using like, animals in yeah, exactly. the system mm -hmm. and uh when i went to college and i i, I sort of looked into soil a little bit more like I, we were talking before the show i ended up talking with one of your mentors james james cassidy about mycelium and the soil it just blew my mind all of these things were were great but um one of the things he said in his book is that we all must participate in the food process. And I was like, shit, man, that makes a lot of sense. Like, we all used to. That's what where we all came from. We probably all should at least attempt to grow some of our own food. It's, it's not incredibly difficult. Like, I had a garden, gardens mm -hmm. in college, and I really enjoyed that. And I've gotten away, away from it now, and I think that, you know, after this interview, I'm definitely going to be getting more involved in that it's not that mm -hmm. hard to have one six foot garden bed you know yeah just something some some place just to start. start just yeah start. and to have that connection to your food is really important uh, so many people they're so disconnected that they don't understand okay this is where it came from this is what it went through to get to my plate um 
you know, questioning, well, why do we have so much cross-contamination in our meat supply or whatever it may be? And understanding that, you know, having this concentrated, highly consolidated food system ultimately leads to more and more of these cross-contaminations, you know, that are going to impact the entire uh, United States or maybe even beyond instead of having, you know, these little communities where you're sourcing your stuff from close to you. So if there's you know cross contamination in the food supply the outbreak of whatever disease is very local rather than having it go across you know hundreds of thousands of millions of people yeah got you got you getting in the supply okay yep. one of the one interesting idea that i've heard because i've heard um, i've been paying attention to your community for quite some time but one of the interesting ideas i've heard was this guy in los angeles that proposed that we use like the medians to plant vegetables and stuff in Southern California. Like, Gorilla Gardener a, guy? Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yep. Oh, what's his name? Absolutely. Well, and there's just so much space. I know a lot of people try to say, well, I live in a concrete jungle or I live in this city where I can't, you know, have any green space. And it's just not true. Like, even if you have pavement, bring in some pots and plant some plants there. Like, it's not, it's not difficult. And it brings so much healing to you just to have a plant in your life. Um, a lot of millennials now are really getting into the whole houseplant concept. And I really believe it's because they're just crying out for any connection to nature at all. Like living in this city in an apartment, you're so disconnected from that. And, you know, depression, anxiety is just rampant. Oh, yeah. And then all of our food is contaminated and you know, the whole world is going to shit, basically, right? <laughs> yeah, and basically. so you're trying to find any sanity within that. And, you know, getting back to your roots, getting back to nature is where it's at. And, you know, ultimately, yoga, all these other things are really valuable. But, you know, you don't take care of the earth. Ultimately, you're the one who's going to be in trouble. You're the one who's going to be hurting. Yeah. I Well, one of the things that I always think is funny about that statement is that, um, it's not the earth that we need to save. It's kind of ourselves because the earth is going to be here long after we're gone and something else will come. Maybe it'll be something, some radioactive, radioactive rat that will inherit the earth and like start a kingdom. But like, I don't know, we just, we just keep destroying it. I just recently found out that, uh, some listeners, sorry, this show's taking a depressing turn. But, <laughs> uh, I just recently found out that there's a massive uh, plastic, I'm, I'm going to say island, that's mm -hmm. not the case, but like the size of Texas yep. in the Pacific Ocean. I didn't There's more than know. one. Dude, yeah, yeah. see? And all the whales and stuff Google that are washing that up on the shores, you know, it's just... It's really sad to see what our actions are creating and you know you're talking about well you know the world's going to exist far longer than we will and while that might be true we're a pretty selfish species so if we want to potentially live longer like it's in our best interest to care for the planet ultimately like that's why like in what we practice it's always the planet comes first because you take care of that you're going to be taken care of Definitely. Because that was the big understanding. Uh, I used to do clinical research in autoimmune disorders, mm -hmm. specifically in dermatology. But one of the big understandings that I had or that I gained from that experience was we noticed this 
say, phenomenon where you could take people who lived a subsistence farming lifestyle, uh, more connected with the earth, they have basically no autoimmune disease. And then you take them and you move them to, say, a more westernized society where they're in the U.S. eating U.S. foods, this horrible diet that everyone thinks is good, um, and disconnected from the land, exposed to tons and tons of toxic chemicals, and their incidence of autoimmune disorder within one generation matches 30% and matches the rest of the population. And so the understanding became, oh, well, people are getting sick because we don't take care of the planet. And so if you want the people to be healthy and well and to live in a state, their natural state of health, you help to restore the planet to that natural state of health. Because if you live in a healthy space, you'll be healthy. Yeah. This is like earth shattering for people, but it's also incredibly obvious. Exactly. No, I, I mean, you can even extrapolate that outside of the planet, like in your own life. Like if you have a cluttered room, your mind's probably cluttered and you're going to be kind of maybe a little bit depressed. That's one thing I've noticed in my, it's been a reoccurring theme. My room is spotless and I'm so much happier when that's the case, you know, uh, <laughs> But um, I, I, what I really dig about you guys is you actually practice what you preach. And I, that was very evident when I saw you roll up and you lived in a van. And I was like, <laughs> oh, we are going to be good friends. Because I have been. But we, my guest last week um, had a dream. He sacrificed a lot of things and ended up voluntarily being homeless to save money to get out to Minneapolis. I have been lived in the back of a truck for a time and it was a glorious time it was only like two weeks but um i, I want to know how how's that going and how long have you been in the van yeah i mean we've definitely been almost as low as you can go just follow following all of our um passions, passions and you know we've been through a lot of hard times we've lived in vehicles and you know two different Subaru Foresters, no, a Forester and then an Outback after that. And actually last year was really the year that everything took off because we were about as low as you can go without being on the streets, you know, didn't really have much in the way of consistent income. And we, well, I was wrapping up my grad program while essentially being homeless. And he was trying to work a job at a grocery store. And we're like, this is just not what we want. Like we're not following our passions and we're risking everything to try and do something and we're not doing it. So we need to change, you know, obviously. And so that, that year, like actually last um, February, we're like, nope, we're going to just dive into this wholeheartedly. And so we went in, put together a display garden at the Portland Home and Garden Show. And we were literally living in the vehicle that we took there to like set up this 20 by 30 foot garden. Totally happy to share pictures with you, but it turned oh. out like just beautiful, amazing, and so different from everyone else's because it was like regenerative, reclaimed lumber, permeable pavers, like all native plants, a green roof and everything. And, you know, people would come, they're like, I thought everything was going to be like yours. We wanted, you know, this is what we want. Yeah. And it just took off. Our company just took off. And um, 
I mean, I'm not saying that experience wasn't with drama. Like, our vehicle ended up getting backed over and totaled from being <laughs> there. And so literally the space we were living in ended up getting run over. Our house got run over while we were doing it. But we're like, look, we're doing the right thing. We're in the right place. And... Like, we're able to move on to bigger, better things, buy a brand new van, and, like, live out our passions every day. And what? sometimes it takes that, you know, yeah. in order to sacrifice to get to where you want to go. It's not always going to be pretty, but you got to see the potential in what you're doing and, and be okay when it's hard because it's going to be. That's just what happens, right? No, fuck <laughs> it. That's what this show is really about is grit, determination, and not never giving up. And like, we had, like, literally no one who is, like, in support of what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, we've got to, we have to go back just a little bit. Just, just, just a little bit. What did you do when your home got ran over? I laughed. We, we laughed, I'm, I'm... actually, because we had it inside this, like, big... Um, the Expo Center I, in the Portland. The Expo Center in okay. Portland. And so it was, like, inside. We had brought it in because we were, like, you know, needing stuff out of there and working on our display garden. And everyone had their vehicles inside. It's mm -hmm. huge. And then this, like, guy on what you would call a cherry picker. Okay, I know exactly what you're He was what adjusting about. the lights. And he actually backed up over our vehicle and almost tipped himself, like, probably would have died. And so we just heard this, like, crunching happening behind us. And so we, like, took out our earplugs and, like, went over and we're like, are you okay, dude? Like, yeah. are you, like that looked really scary. And he, he was, of course, shocked because, like... His company obviously has insurance, yeah. but he probably thought he was going to get his ass handed to him. Yeah. And instead, we were just like, dude, are you, you know, going to be okay? And he was like, I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. That, that's so, man, that is crazy. So you're, you're, you, 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 you acquire these plants, I'm assuming, from like Oregon State or like kind of, were these just things that you had? Uh, those we had partnered with a local native plants nursery. Okay. And, um, Bosquedale natives, they're just over Westland area. Okay. Um, anyway, Lori, the owner there had lent us plants to go to the show and we actually ended up selling not all of them, but a good number, all the big ones anyway, mm -hmm. uh, at the show. And then, you know, the pavers were essentially it's, there's a paver company that they lend everyone pavers for the show just to get their product out there so people are seeing it. Absolutely. And um, the show producers give you a certain amount of bark, a certain amount of compost, and you kind of build it. And then we had partnered with a company that has a reclaimed lumber yard. Okay. And they lent us a bunch of lumber. And so we, we basically just partnered with a bunch of people and built Display Garden to kind of share re what a regenerative landscape can look like. And yeah. the theme was more Japanese last year for us. So we kind of really leaned into that. And yeah, so the, the structure was flat roofed and very rectilinear. And we had a, a local guy make us a reclaimed bench that looked beautiful. So we had kind of the crusty, rustic looking structure with this refinished, beautiful bench, um, all out of reclaimed lumber. And then we had all native plants Put together in a way that you would see in 
like a woodland garden or a pollinator garden or a warm side uh, rain garden or a cool side rain garden. Yeah. Those are the four kind of elements that we had. And the garden itself actually really needed someone to walk you through it and explain everything that was going on. Because we, when we design a garden, it's we are engineering not just the physical aspects of how things work together so it doesn't fall down and the water doesn't flood you and nothing blows out, but we're also engineering the microbial activity of what we want under the soil, okay. where we want the roots to do, how we want the above ground biomass to interact with itself and the other plants and how we want that to interact with the people as well. Because there, there are a lot of things that are super simple, but if you don't know to look for it, you'll never know. Yeah, definitely. Like, like if you orient your house with the long side facing south, your heating and cooling bills are going to be 30% lower. Simple. You can line up the trees to catch your summer wind and kind of blow it through your house and lower your air conditioning bill. So, I mean, before I buy land and build a home, I need to talk to you guys and just get dialed in. Yeah. All Absolutely. right. This is what you're telling me. And yeah. I believe you. All yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, everyone should. Yeah, We're just, happy to work with everybody. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's true. These are things I don't, you just, I don't think about, but I'm sorry, we got, I got, I got you sidetracked, but the, the, all of this is going into building the garden and, and, uh, at the uh, expo center and people took notice of your expertise. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, yeah. There it was, was a, a lot of fun. need for it. That was really exciting to us because, like, if you looked at the other gardens, they're very much like gardens you would see in the 80s, you know, and and all the artificially forced to flower plants that they give you for free, you know, and we're just so starkly different from that. Mm -hmm. And we're very used to being very different from other people that were around. And so it didn't really bother us. It actually... I, I think made us really excited. Yeah, it was fun because like we put a little water feature in just to show like, oh, yeah, there's water here. And so we put it on the side with all the rain gardens. But we left the water running muddy. Yeah. On purpose. Oh, really? Because all the creeks were running muddy. And so we're like, yeah, it's a natural thing. I mean, if we wanted to, there are ways to clean the water in like 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, using um alum or there are a couple of microbes that'll just clear the water if we wanted it to run clear but it was more interesting to us to have it run brown oh yeah yeah, yeah. um just we had to kind of questions from that too which was great because it just created more conversations for us so yeah well and somebody's dog drank out of it which i wouldn't really want to happen if we had used one of the water cleaning techniques because most of them either you let it settle out over time which is you know, it takes time. Or if you want to do it fast, you end up using something that might not be in the best health of anything that might drink that water. Okay. And so we tend to not use those things. Definitely, definitely not. Definitely not. So <clears throat> you're living in a, you, the show goes well, and now you're able to get the fucking van. Yeah. Yep. Dream. Living my dream right now. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. What's, what is van life like? So this is my, this is my strategy tell you my strategy you tell me where I what I got right and what I got wrong when I was mobile I used to shower at the gym mm -hmm. that was the plan yeah. and then I had a friend who I would go over to his house and I'd like store food because I was just living in the back of the truck or and cook and then eventually that friend was like dude why don't you just live on my couch and I bailed on the the truck after two weeks mm -hmm. but do you guys shower I'm assuming at like the gym or yeah. 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 Yoga every day, and then we can shower. We do laundry at a laundromat. 
Yeah. What is the... Yeah, I've never done laundry in a laundromat. I think I... No, I know. (laughs) I haven't. You went to college, right? Yeah, but I always... I never lived in... Wait, I did live in the dorms. Yeah, so you had a laundry, but those are janky. They are janky, but I've never done laundry at like a laundromat ever. So we're a little connoisseur about laundromats. Oh, oh, yeah, Yeah, like we we go to the ones that have like Electrolux brand machines. Okay. And you can actually take the dial and turn it left and you can sanitize the machine before you put your stuff in there. Because you don't know who was washing laundry before you. And some places, like, you walk into them and they smell just awful. And then your laundry comes out smelling worse than when you brought it in. So uh, it's important to be, like, a little bit so cautious. So gross. I had no yeah. idea. Yep. Yeah. And well, and some people will dump too much soap in there. And so you want to, like, make sure that when you do the sanitize cycle, you watch it. And as long as there's suds coming up, I just keep hitting the button until it's clean. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I had no idea. So, so you shower, you do, so you do, you do yoga every day. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so jealous. Three <laughs> days a week for, for this guy. That's it. Uh, and once this space moves further north into Portland or like Tualatin, I'll probably go five to six days a week. Nice. Just, just it'll be just right across the street from me. Which is a uh, for the listeners. Uh, I met these guy, these fine, fine people at yoga, and uh, John and I just started. I don't even know. I, I've 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 come to the realization like you kind of just. I'm getting to a point where I just know when people are on, like the level or or dialed or awake is a better way of saying it. Yeah. And you were very awake, and we. St- I don't know how we started talking we started a conversation and soil came up and we're like, wait this guy likes soil what a nerd i like it <laughs> and we, yeah but um we were talking about something um that's we're a little off topic but that was very fascinating and it kind of revolved around how you two met and i kind of wanted to bring that back full circle because it's super interesting <laughs> so <laughs> We were, I guess we grew up in a cult together. Like, <laughs> long story short, we grew up in a cult together. We left it together. And we kind of created a life that we wanted to live together outside of that control dogma. Yeah. Um, long story long, um, I was one of Lisa's brother's best friends when we were growing up. And we kind of knew each other. And then basically just stayed in touch for a long time. Like I kind of was off doing the healthcare thing for a period of time. And then we caught back up at a certain point in time. And um, we had kind of both moved on from that space. Um, but we're still kind of learning who we were. So what was the, like the cult that you were in? What was, <laughs> this is the really interesting part, right? Okay. So this was like an offshoot of fundamentalist evangelical Christians. Okay. Um, and they're like, um, have you seen those ones where they like talk in tongues and stuff? Yes. Yeah. They yeah. were that yeah. kind. They were that kind. And were they isolated? So I would imagine your families were, are they still in the cults? Mine chance? is like completely pretty much still a part of that. Um, when we got together, they were so outraged about John being with me. Um, 
without any reason other than he wasn't willing to comply with everything they wanted which basically means that he was going to do the things that are in my best interest rather than in theirs mm -hmm. and so basically i lost my family when we started dating so you can't you cannot talk to your family i tried i went i went back actually this past year and a half and we tried to see if it would be possible to have friendship relationship with them and ultimately it comes back to they're so immersed in their ideas of what they think is right and healthy and it just isn't and i have a lot of other people in my life that i'd rather invest into who are a positive influence on my life as well that it's better to just love on people enough to let them go and let them be on their own journey yeah. and so that's what we've kind of decided to do as of my birthday on christmas <laughs> <laughs> is your birthday on christmas yeah well happy birth happy belated thank birthday thank you very much i just the cults are something that they fascinate me they're they are the fascinating. most fascinating things because and the fact that you two were able to get away from that is quite amazing what John, I'll start with you. What in your, what was the moment where you're like, uh, this isn't for me? So I really, I'm a researcher. Okay. That's like core of who I am. Satyagraha, that's Sanskrit for the search for truth. Okay. And I'm always on pursuit of the truth. And I will dig and I don't care what rock I have to turn over. I don't care what book I have to throw in the trash can. I'm going to find the truth. Gotcha. And that's what I'm going to live. And... In digging into, I actually had this really interesting experience of this guy who was trying to start his own church in Portland. And I kind of got involved with this guy. He was in a master's program, and he turned me on to like all these other thinkers who were still within the Christian faith, but they had different ideas. And then I had this realization that they're all like wrong in different areas, mm -hmm. in different ways. And one of the big things for me was, um, and this is outside of the cult we were growing up in, like the Christian religion's treatment of homosexuality and uh, women is not in line with the ethic of the rest of what their book says. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so that was a big sticking point. And I was, I was younger. I was a little flagrant about my pushback against that. And just this discordant idea and then even within there like there are stories if you look there are some really messed up stories in the old testament i'm very familiar with leviticus yeah. all of that yeah yeah well even like there's a story of this guy and he was traveling with his daughter and these people were going to come and rape him and he was like no rape her instead and then they raped her to death and then he went back to his tribe and he's like hey they raped my daughter to death and so they started a war with this other tribe this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Like, loving co-creation is what we're all about. That's the only sane, rational response to existence on this beautiful planet is to lovingly co-create with each other and the planet. Otherwise, that's not a life worth living. Yeah, I would agree. And so kind of digging in there, that was a big awakening. And then just really fostering and recognizing that I had my own connection to the universe, the unified yeah. field of intelligence or energy or whatever, whatever you want to call it. I like uh, eternal spirit or the eternal first field of intelligence yeah. um, that all this is happening inside of. 
And so fostering that relationship, it just became very clear to me, like there's wisdom in all these different religious traditions and there's distortion in all of them. And in that understanding, I just freed myself from the control. Do you still, your parents still involved in this? My dad works for the cult where we grew up actually. Do you, are you able to speak with him? Yeah, no, he's fine. He's Um, cool. He's chill. He's not like, he's like, oh. Yeah, he's, um, I mean, we run into, in any of these relationships with people who are in these more evangelical milieus where they like, there's, with him, it's a little different because he's my dad, right? So Mm -hmm. he just wants to be around me because I'm his son. But with a lot of people, you run into this, like, they want to convert you. So they're going to be nice to you because they want to convert you. Yes. And that doesn't ever work. No. Like. I know about your book. I know about your religion. I didn't like it. I made my choice. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, not that I can relate, but it, it just my fa- my family is pretty religious as well. And one of the things I explained to my dad, because he was always, hey, why don't you come back to the church? It was like, Dad, we can go in and watch a movie. And you might love the movie. And I might come out thinking it's the dumbest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Like why why should why should me not liking the movie that you that you showed me have my soul go to eternal damnation in the fucking <laughs> lake of fire? It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me. It's like we're not all gonna like the same movie. I don't I don't. We're all gonna have different versions of what we feel comfortable or the truth. I think that sci- the scientific definition for how the Big Bang Theory, I think that that's just as preposterous and crazy sounding as, like, God created everything. I think it's all kind of crazy, right? But it's they're different measures of truth. I think that religion is important because it teaches people how to be good and it comforts people. But not all brains require that level of comfort. Some brains want to push the envelope and are very comfortable not knowing what happens or thinking that maybe this is this is it. This is all that we have is the present moment and we should cherish that. Some people are comfortable with that and some people aren't. I don't know. Well, Sorry. I think it's... On a tangent there. <laughs> I think it's a lot like um, what I was talking about earlier with, you know, what's going on in the world and, you know, how people don't necessarily want to hear what's really going on because they're so terrified of it. They'd rather live in their little brainwashing station of society and ignore the truths rather than hear them because it's so terrifying to think for themselves and to have to take ownership, take responsibility for their part in everything. And um, that's really common within religion. I see this with my own mom. She's so happy to push off the responsibility on everyone else and not take ownership for her part in it. Um, and somehow she's able to live with herself. But for me, I can't do that. Like I have a responsibility to myself and others to make this a better place to be and to own my part in it. I think that's cool. So what is that now? Was that kind of the, what led to you opening your eyes and be like, I don't want to be a part of this. I think my journey through being a part of that that situation, that group of people, it was really multiple layers. I like to say that I grew up in a cult within a cult. Okay. Um, because the standards, the expectations were very different in my family than even what it was in the group that we were a part of. And it was just a whole nother level. 
um, especially what was expected of women and just the value that was placed on women versus men. And so I learned pretty much my entire childhood to be terrified of everyone outside of the family, to be okay with anything bad that happened by someone in the family. And um, that as a woman, I shouldn't ever speak my mind. And that fear is really all there is for you. And um, that I'm not capable, capable of making decisions for myself. And so growing up in a world where that's what you're taught, that's what you're taught to believe and understand, it's really hard to, um, for somebody who's independent like me, to be like, yeah, that's where it's at. You know, I really want that for the rest of my life. Fuck and <laughs> I have shit. four sisters and they're very much like, yeah, we'll do whatever you want, dad. We'll do whatever you want, church. Like, we're happy to like abide by all your laws and wishes and live in your whole fear paradigm. And I was like, hell no, I don't want that for me. And so pretty much immediately I was painted as this like, bad child, you know, who got a 4.0 GPA and, you know, aced her way through grad school. And, you know, just because I'm an independent thinker, I'm somebody who's like, no, you know, just because that's the way you grew up doesn't mean you have to accept that as your reality. And I think pretty early on, I was like, this isn't for me. So it's just buying my time until I'm capable of leaving. Yeah. Wow. Holy shit, guys. <laughs> I love it. That's mind blowing. Wow. So, so I mean, and this this is in Oregon. This happened yeah. in yeah. our backyard. Oh, dude, it's everywhere. Like, What's the name of this church? I don't want to really say it on the you don't podcast. Have, we'll, we'll talk about it. Off yeah, there. we could talk about it. Off we'll the talk air. about it. Off but there. Uh, I mean, if if you really think about it, there are all these independent churches that exist all over the country, and a lot of them are cults just hiding in plain sight oh, because for they sure. affiliate themselves with the mainstream religion, which. I mean, by the definition of cult, all world religions are cults. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they affiliate themselves to gain this level of validity in society's eyes. But then all the cult behaviors, like you can watch, what was that documentary? Wild Wild Oregon. Did you watch oh, that dude, one? Of course. Yeah. Of course. So, so all the stuff that I they did there. I went to that camp. <laughs> like after it was taken over by a different religious organization, I went there. Okay. Yeah. For like was, a summer yeah. camp. What the... Oh, Rajnishi. The Rajnishis. Yeah. And then it was bought by, like... Uh, Christians. Some, yeah. Oh, yeah. But pull it up. It's pull called... It up. An, it's in Antelope, It's in Antelope, Antelope, but it's... Uh, young Life? Young, young Life. life. Yep. Yeah. Young... Thank yep. you. Dude. <laughs> DeMar dude, DeMarco, maybe you're going to have a home as a permanent... Googler, since Matt has <laughs> left us, or no, Matt, Matt, Mad Max. We had, used to have a Googler here. He uh, joined the Peace Corps, and he's in Africa right now. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. I miss him. Well, he hasn't left yet, but yeah, he's still miss prepping. him. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> I never see He got engaged, too. Sorry. <laughs> this is wild. But um, anyways, guys, we got to have you back. We're running out of time here. We're going to definitely talk a little bit more after the, the we stop recording. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Next time, you're definitely coming back. We've got a lot more to unpack. Um, I'm going to need advice on setting up my garden this year. I don't know. I'm yeah. going to grow like four things. How to escape a cold, you know. Yeah, how to escape a cold. <laughs> we can... We can 
We'll journey into the great unknown. Before we uh, entirely go out, think about the interesting thing, that there's a spot in Oregon where uh, the Badawan with the Rajneeshi chose to create their society. And in that same spot, another religious organization has taken ownership of. Mm-hmm. And think about the implications of what that mean about might mean about the planet and about the energetic body of the planet because it has one as well. And then think about the implications that our chosen life is to help restore the planet to its natural state of health. Think about what that might mean. It's a lot to unpack, man. <laughs> it's a lot to unpack. We have to think about all these things. We can unpack that further next time. Yeah, let's but. do it. Let's do it. <laughs> all right, guys. It, Listeners, I love you guys. Thanks for listening. And I mean, let Lisa and John kind of be a light. Never give up and always follow your dreams and good things will happen. Peace, guys.